Great job. Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning. It's a good thing I have the Word of God to preach because I think that's about the only thing that, that could warm our hearts as much uh, as a child just wanting to sing and serve God. So Deuteronomy chapter 5. We are in verse 19. It's the eighth commandment this morning. So stand with me when you get there. Deuteronomy 5, 19. And this is the Word of God. And if you let it, it will change your life. And you shall not steal. Pray with me. Father, I pray that your words would dig deep into our hearts. That, Father, they would ruminate within our minds. That we meditate on them. That they would give us life. Father, I pray that we would be careful to do these words of yours. In Christ's name, I ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. We have, this is the third commandment in a row, which is a very simple command. In fact, in Hebrew, only two words, not, and you will steal. That's all it is. That and isn't even a word. It's a letter. (laughs) You put a, a certain letter in front of a word and it continues on. And so you hear things like, you shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. He's just, he's one after the other after the other. And they're all kind of related, aren't they? The sixth commandment, do not murder, is a reminder that we are to respect the lives of others. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, is a reminder that we are to respect other people's marriages and our own. The eighth commandment, not stealing, that's a respect for the property that belongs to others. But I want us to really focus in on the theological perspective. Because every commandment, as I've said time and time again, and it's true of all ten of them, every one of these commandments reveals something of the character and, and actions of God. And I think this commandment points us to something that is so incredibly ingrained in Scripture that for me to just quote the few verses that I'm going to quote this morning doesn't even do it justice. You really just have to read and read and read because on just about every page of Scripture is this truth, that God is generous. What we learn from this commandment is that we serve a giving God. He's not miserly. He's not parsimonious. I'm learning some bigger words for something that I have to do coming up. And so he's not parsimonious. There's your $5 word of the day. He's not stingy. He's not a penny pincher. That's not the kind of God we serve. We serve a God who is generous. He gives. And not only does he give, he gives incredibly liberally. He gives freely. In fact, uh, uh, all you have to do, you want, you want me to show you how generous God is. All you have to do is go look in a mirror. Just look at your own life and you will see the overabundant generosity of our God. At uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about what we were like before Christ. He says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He says that we are under the influence of Satan himself and that we're giving ourselves over to all these fleshly desires that will destroy us. Verse 4, but God. Now that's a sermon in two words right there, isn't it? As terrible as we are, as much as we are against God, he's going to do anyway. 
He's going to love us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failures, in spite, in spite of our opposition to him. But God, watch this, being rich in mercy. Some of us think we're rich because we have giant bank accounts with big amounts in them. We have retirement funds that are fully funded. We have nice cars and nice homes and nice things. Some of us are thinking, I wish I could say that about myself. I'm getting by, but that's about all I'm doing. God doesn't count the money that he has. God counts the mercy that he has. And he says, I'm filthy rich. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Do you see the generosity of God? Even while we're totally against him, he gives us eternal life anyway. He changes our hearts to follow him. And he doesn't stop there. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. Not only does he give us a life now to live, he gives us a life then in the future to live with all eternity in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So not only does he give us something here, he gives us something to look forward to. And not only that, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you see what's going on here? God isn't just giving a little bit. What, what does the 23rd say, Psalm say? My cup runneth over God gives us more than we could ever handle. Some people think that God is looking for reasons to punish. I think he's looking for opportunities to bless. Do, do you see the generosity of God? We were totally against God. Vile, wretched sinners. But he loved us anyway. To quote Dr. Chuck Kelly, there's a Hebrew word for that. Wow. I don't really know if that's a Hebrew word. I don't think so. God's goodness to us is unsurpassed and unsurpassable by anything we can do. And it shows us just how generous he is. Now, there are other passages that show God's generosity. Just, just I tell you what, one day, what you should do is just open up your Bible to the book of Genesis and just start reading you get to Abraham. Well, even in creation, he gives, the, he gives Adam and Eve a beautiful garden with all kinds of pleasant food. And he says, anything you want, you can eat. Except this one tree. He gives. Even in their sin, he gives them clothes, proper clothes. Because fig leaves do not make proper clothes. He gives them proper clothes. Protects them from possibly doing more damage. And he gives them a promise that one day that woman's seed would crush that serpent's head. Even, even from the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's goodness. We see God over and over and over again in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, saying, I will give. I will give this land to you and to your descendants forever. I will give you. I will bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey over and over and over again. He gives them manna to eat in the desert. He gives them directions from a, 
a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He gives them water from rocks. He gives them clothes and sandals that don't wear out. Don't you wish you could buy some of those from the store? All of this convinces me that when God is generous, he's not just generous. He gives lovingly. Look, look at the connection between the love of Christ and his ministry in Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That's his ministry. Proclaiming the gospel and healing those who need it. There's both a spiritual and a physical side to, to Jesus' ministry. But then verse 36 says, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He didn't pity them, but he didn't ignore them either. He was compassionate for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Even the most famous Bible verse connects God's love and his generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he didn't just give anything, he gave his only son. Not only does God love or give lovingly, he also gives willingly. Same Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. And then he gives a practical example. Which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Your child's hungry so you give him a few rocks to chew on. You're not going to do that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. No, if you then, who are evil... Boy, Jesus says it mince words, does he? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's not only giving, he's willingly giving. It's not just that God says, well, I guess I got to do it. If I don't do it, no one else will. No, God is anxious to give. I don't, the reason that I think that we so often miss it in Christian life is that we are so focused on ourselves, we forget just how good God is. We think, I've got to do this. I've got to provide for this. I've got to make sure this happens. And we put a burden on ourselves that Jesus says, no, 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 my burden is easy. My yoke is like, take my burden on you. I'll take care of all those things. You just follow me. Sometimes we look at God as if, well, you know, there's only so much to go around and maybe one day I'll get a little bit of it. No, God, God, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills. God can give and 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 still not lack anything. And he's willing to. If, if we know how to give good gifts to our kids, don't you think our Heavenly Father gives good gifts? In fact, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's perfect 
nature is perfect generosity. It's not just that, but boy, it is generous, isn't it? Third thing, I don't know if there's a slide on this. If there's not, I apologize. He also gives abundantly. No, okay, I missed that one, sorry. So he gives lovingly, he gives willingly. Third one is he gives abundantly. God isn't constrained. In fact, uh, uh, I believe it's 2 Samuel. I'm trying to remember which, which chapter and verse it is. But it's in 2 Samuel that Jonathan is going over to fight some of the enemies of Israel. And he's, he's, it's, real, it's a real rocky crag sort of area. And so it's very hard to go straight up. You'd have to kind of go around. And so the enemy has secured the easier way to go up. There's no way they're going to attack that way and get away with it because the Philistines have well fortified that way. But the rocky crag is wide open. So Jonathan takes his armor bearer and says, let's go attack them. For the Lord's hand is not constrained to save by many or by few. God's hand isn't constrained. It's not like God has a budget and he spent too much this month so he's got to wait till next month when he gets another paycheck in order to give more. No, God's not constrained. We are, but he's not. Look, look, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work as it is written he has distributed freely he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever it's a reference to psalm 112 that he says he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you see all of the generosity of God? What does he give? All grace. All sufficiency in all things at all times for every good work enriched in every way so we can be generous in every way. Do you see how generous God is? Jesus says, I've come they would have life and have it more abundantly. God's not interested in giving you the bottom caked on yucky stuff in the bottom of the pan. He wants you to have the fullness and richness of his full blessings. But we don't get that when we're greedy. We don't get that when we're miserly. We don't get that when we shut ourselves off to the blessings of God because we're too worried about number one. That's why this commandment, do not steal, is in the negative. He could have made the commandment just be generous, but he doesn't. He makes the commandment, do not steal. And that's often where we struggle. We scheme. We cheat. We don't want to do things God's way, not in the flesh. We swindle. We lie. We hustle. We connive to get what we want. We'd rather be greedy and take it than be generous and give it. But God calls us to a different kind of living. He, he calls us to be generous, not greedy. God calls us to be generous. Because he is the generous God, God calls us to be generous too. 
All kinds of scriptures abound showing the generosity of God. And there's a good number of scriptures that show that we should be generous too. God tells the Israelites, when your neighbor's in need, lend to him. In fact, lend and don't even expect repayment. Give freely. Your brother's in trouble, so much so that he's got to sell himself in order to pay off the deeds. You're not going to, you're not going to buy him as a slave. No, you're going to bring him into your house, let him work for you and pay him a good wage so that he can make his life better. So that he has the opportunity to get out of that financial hardship. And then every few years, he's released. And you don't send him away empty-handed. You don't send them packing and say, oh, well, your time's up. Have a nice life. No, you give him riches and blessings and you, you set him up for success. And then every jubilee year, that land he had to sell in order to try to make ends meet way back when goes right back to his family because God doesn't want anyone, anyone to suffer because of unrighteous oppression. He built it into the law. Now, they never followed that law very well. They were greedy. They were oppressive. From those that didn't have, they took. But God calls us to be generous. Psalm 37, 21. Almost sounds like a proverb. In fact, I thought this originally was a proverb until I read it in the Psalms. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Do you see? Do you see the contrast between the wicked man and the righteous man? The wicked man is greedy. He borrows, but he doesn't pay back. He has no intention on making things right. He has no intention of repayment. He has no intention of it. He's stealing. But the righteous, not only is he not borrowing, he's generous and giving. See, the opposite of stealing is generosity. And when we display this nature of God, this character of God, by the way that we are generous toward others, it gives us a totally different way to live. God promises good for those who demonstrate generosity to the poor. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. When you are generous to someone who is in need, when you provide instead of trying to take for yourself, when you give to others, God takes that as saying all. So you're going to give to one of my least of these. You're giving it to me. And he returns the favor. Now, that doesn't mean if you give so much money in the offering plate that you're going to become rich. But I tell you what, that verse, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not an overstatement, y'all. That's an understatement. Earlier we read from 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. Verse 7 is probably a verse you've heard before. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we cheerfully give because we're just acting like him. We're just showing others what he's like. And we're experiencing what he's like too. God's expectation is that we'll give. And we'll do so out of a heart of love. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count, yourself, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, 
but also to the interest of others. We are to give because we love the other. That's why the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Because if we love God, we'll act like him and he loves others. I want to give us three ways in which we are, um, which we want to, we want to be careful to avoid. Three ways that sometimes we steal. We should repent from them. And by the way, uh, repentance doesn't just include, I'm sorry, it also includes making it right too. Do not take first what others have. Don't take what others have. This is the traditional thing we think of when we think of stealing. Proverbs 22, 28 sets a specific example. It says, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. One of the ways that they would oppress certain types of people is they go out to the edge of the property and they take that landmark and they move it just a little bit more. And they move it just a little bit more. And they move it just a little bit more. He says, don't do that. You're stealing. Don't move that ancient landmark. That is not yours to move. Uh, that's a specific example, but the general principle is still there. We respect the property of others because God has given it to them and not to us. It's his ultimately. And so for us to steal is like us telling God, well, you did wrong when you gave it to them. And that's just, yeah, Miss, Miss Barry, the look on your face said it all right there. Sometimes we, we do so much that's an affront to God. We're not, just, we're not just messing with the widow whose ancient landmark was over there and now it's out there. We're messing with God. Don't take what others have. But it goes beyond that. We don't take what others have. Don't deny what others deserve. Pay your bills. Pay your bills. You owe something, pay it. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. When we have the ability to do something and they deserve it, we should do it. Now, that does not mean if they deserve a punch in the nose that I've just given you free reign. No, do not withhold good. <laughs> that word good matters, right? But don't withhold it. Romans 13.7, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Even if it's not a thing, even if it's an attitude or the way that we approach someone, we give them to it, give it to them because they deserve it. Whether you like them or not, whether they only deserve it because they're in a position that says you have to. When you're in the military, you don't get to pick and choose which general you salute. General walks in, you salute because he deserves respect. He might not have earned it in his personal life, but he's got that star or those stars. So you respect him. Whatever you can give, give it when it's due. When Jesus is asked about taxes, he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Even if you don't like how he's spending it. When someone deserves credit for a good idea, give it. Don't claim it as your own. Whenever someone deserves something that you have, don't deny it. There's a third step we have to take too. We don't take what others have. We don't deny what others deserve. We also don't withhold what others need. It's one thing to outright steal from someone. Just, just take it. That's, that's brazen. But there's a whole nother level of coldness 
to keeping something that you have away from someone who needs, especially a brother or sister in Christ. That, that may even be the worst kind of theft of all. God calls us not only to keep from taking someone else's stuff, but to have the integrity to provide for their needs when we're able. Deuteronomy 22 gives us a case in point. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live with you, near you, and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You do everything you can. If you can't figure out whose it is, you take good care of it until you can figure it out. You shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. It doesn't matter what it is. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox falling down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. It's so important, God even says, you should do it for your enemies too. Exodus 23, verses 4 to 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. Even that person that you don't like, that person that grates on your nails like, like fingernails across a chalkboard. Even them. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Even when your enemy is in trouble. It seems like Jesus said something like that. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Y'all remember something like that? Y'all, yeah. when we have what we can, help someone with, what they need. We don't give it. That's stealing. James 2, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You have you have the means to feed someone and clothe someone who are in need. You have. And you don't give. That's stealing. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. God calls us to be generous because he is generous. That's a completely different kind of life. When you're in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, to hand out bones, totally different. We're naturally greedy, y'all. We naturally want for ourselves. What we need is a generous God to lavish his love and graciousness upon us. For him to change our hearts from being greedy for what we want to wanting what he wants. Thankful for what he's given. Willing to use it to bless others. Don't steal. Give. See, because God's given you enough. Go back to 2 Corinthians 9 and slide. Verses 8 through 11. Now, just, I tell you what, just pull up verse 11. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are all about giving. Read through those chapters and you'll see. You'll see a church that's giving, giving well beyond their means, giving way more. They are impoverished and they are giving because there's a heart of generosity there. Look at what he says here. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God doesn't just give you stuff for you to have. God gives you stuff for you to use for his glory and for the benefit of others. When I think about how generous God is and I think about sometimes how stingy I happen to be, it reminds me that I'm not being a good steward of what he's given.
all of us, every single one of us, has things that God has given us to serve Him, to love others with. So let's have grateful hearts and not greedy ones. Let's give out of love for the God who is so bountifully given to us. And let's know that when we do, He'll provide plenty. That doesn't mean you'd be generous just to get more. You'd be generous to love God and love others. And he'll make sure you have enough. Father, sometimes we are just greedy. We, we only think of ourselves. And we have to remember your command is not to steal, not to take what belongs to others, not to deny what they've earned and deserve, not to withhold what they need. But God, you've given us plenty, not just so we will be rich, but so that you can use us to do your will. So, Father, we surrender everything to you. We, can, we surrender our checkbooks. We surrender our clocks, our calendars. We surrender our words, our actions, our thoughts, our motivations. We give you our wills. Shape them into your image. Make us generous just like you. You're inviting us to a life that is so much better and greed. You're inviting us to a life of generosity. So may we walk in your footsteps and be generous just like you. Lead us in this time. We're willing to do whatever you ask of us. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen.